0: a defaulted federal student loan, an administrative wage garnishment order, and we've got a rehabilitation agreement. Let's unpack everything. Hey everybody, Jay Fleischman here with another episode of The Student Loan Show, and today we're going to answer a question from Chelsea, and Chelsea asks the following, I was in default and garnishment of wages was put in place. I am now in rehabilitation with an agreement and making payments. I requested hardship to end garnishment, filed the paperwork for it, and was told it would take 30 to 60 days for a hardship decision. It is now day 90 plus with no decision, and I'm in a bad financial bind due to the garnishment. The request has been escalated to region twice due to number of days, and I was told decision could come any day, but this is day 90 plus. Is there anything else I can do? We've got a whole bunch of bunch of issues going on here. We've got a defaulted federal student loan. We've got an administrative wage garnishment order, and we've got a rehabilitation agreement on top of it, with payments being made. And then we've got what appears to be a hearing request uh, that Chelsea put in, based upon financial hardship. So let's unpack everything. First of all, when you go into default, that's two hundred and seventy days past due. You go into default, the loan leaves the servicer, goes into collections, and from there, you can be subject to an administrative wage garnishment. You can be subjected to an offset of your federal income tax return. You can be sued. doesn't happen all that often. It's usually when, when there are no wages for garnishment and there's no regular income tax refund, so there's no way to offset against that either. So you'll get a notice of pending wage garnishment. You'll get 30 days to respond to it, either by setting up an agreement with the collector or starting a rehab, if you can do that, or consolidating, if you can do that, or requesting a hearing. And you can request a hearing within that 30-day period of time on for a number of reasons. Uh, you can request it based upon financial hardship. You can request it based upon the fact that you don't owe the money or that you already paid it or you're in an act of bankruptcy. There are a number of reasons, but financial hardship is the one that we're going to go with today. If you submit your request for hearing within 30 days of the date of the notice of pending wage garnishment, then that request is considered timely. And if there's a timely request for hearing, then the wage garnishment isn't going to begin. You'll be given the opportunity to go through the entire hearing process, and um, then the wage garnishment will either begin or not begin depending upon the outcome of that hearing. But that won't happen until after... After the hearing has been held. That's considered a timely request for a hearing. So what happens if you ask for the hearing after the 30 days, after the wage garnishment order is issued? Well, if you request the hearing after the wage garnishment order is issued, it's not considered a timely request for a hearing. So it's an untimely request. It's the opposite of a timely request. When there is an untimely request for a hearing, then you've got a problem. Under the federal laws, the Department of Education will consider an objection to an outstanding garnishment order, and they'll give you the opportunity for a hearing on that objection if your objection is for financial hardship only after the administrative wage garnishment order has been outstanding for at least six months. So once the order is put into place, they're not going to give you a hearing until it's been in place for at least six months. Now, they can provide a hearing in extraordinary circumstances earlier than six months if you can show in your request for a review that your financial circumstances have substantially changed after the notice of proposed garnishment because of an event such as an injury, divorce, or a catastrophic illness. So if it's not received, within 30 days and it's untimely and there's an outstanding wage garnishment order six months unless something big happens in your world. Injury, divorce, catastrophic illness, something life-changing and earth-shattering both personally as well as financially. So that's something to bear in mind. It sounds to me as if Chelsea may have missed the boat on that. There's a wage garnishment order in place, and if it is in place for less than six months and there's been no major change in her financial situation, well, Chelsea, you may not get the hearing until that six-month mark has passed. Now, regardless of whether it's six months or not, when you submit your request for a review or a request for a hearing, you bear the burden of proof. You have to prove by credible, documentation that withholding the amount of wages proposed in the notice is going to leave you unable to meet the basic living expenses of you and your dependents. So if you've got an adult child that you support who's not your legal dependent, well, you're out of luck. It doesn't matter how much you spend on that child. That child's expenses that you're covering aren't going to come into play. So how is it that you're going to prove all of this? You've got to prove by credible documentation the amount of the costs that you incur, your spouse incurs, and any dependents incur for basic living expenses. And you've also got to prove by credible documentation the income available from all sources to meet those expenses. So we're talking pay sups we're talking tax returns. If you're self-employed, We're talking about a profit and loss statement. I would have your CPA do it. I wouldn't just hit uh, Control P to print something off of QuickBooks or Quicken or whatever it is that you happen to be using for your small business accounting. Don't hand them a shoebox worth of expense receipts. You want to make sure that everything is put together in a way that makes it easy for the hearing officer to review. They compare your basic living expenses against the average amount spent for basic living expenses for families of the same size in the same area with reasonably similar overall family incomes. Those are the national standards, and that's established by the Internal Revenue Code. It's what the IRS uses to determine how much of a repayment plan you should be on for past due taxes. And There are a lot of federal agencies that use the national standards. Department of Education uses it here for determining financial hardship. The Bankruptcy Code uses it in a slightly modified form to be able to determine what sort of bankruptcy you're going to be eligible for. Um, lots and lots of parts of the federal government are using these national standards. So if the amount of money you're spending is within the numbers provided for in the national standards, it's considered reasonable. But if the amount of money that you say that you're spending on something or that you prove that you're spending on something is above the amount for the national standards, you're going to need to justify what that expense is and why it's reasonable for you. So if you're spending $1,400 a month on a vehicle lease for a brand new Porsche, you're probably going to have a hard time getting that through the Department of Education's hearing process in your attempts to prove uh, a financial hardship. So you've got to provide the supporting documentation and any information submitted is going to be looked at. If there's a financial hardship that's found, Department of Education is going to adjust the garnishment down or they may decide to hold off on it entirely. They'll notify your employer and that decision is going to be good for 12 months. Once 12 months passes, You're going to have to go back and you're going to need to reprove whether there's a financial hardship or not. Chelsea, I don't know how long the wage garnishment has been in place. I don't know what you submitted for your request for a hearing. I don't know what sort of information you submitted in connection with your claim for financial hardship, but these are the rules. So I can't really tell you if they should have come to a decision yet, but something tells me that it may not have been within... Six months, or rather, it it the garnishment may be less than six months old. Uh, it's been enforced for less than six months, um, or maybe you didn't provide everything that they asked for. I don't know, but those are the things that you need to bear in mind. It's only if you've provided all the information that you're required to, and the garnishment is more than six months old, that they even have to give you a hearing. Once they give you a hearing, then then your 60 days starts. And of course, if there's no decision within 60 days, then uh, the garnishment order is going to be suspended automatically until there is a decision. There are a couple other things that come into play here. You say that there's a wage garnishment and you've got a rehabilitation agreement in place and you're making payments on them. So I want to dive into rehab just a little bit rehabilitation involves making an agreement with the collector to make nine separate regular monthly payments in an amount that is considered reasonable and affordable. At the end of that ninth payment, or at the end of that 10 months, the loan is taken out of default and farmed out to a new servicer and you get to start making new payments, whether it's under an income-driven repayment plan, or either standard or extended, or graduated plans, but you you get to go back into repayment under whatever terms that you're going to work out. But here's the thing. If you're in rehabilitation, once you've made five on-time separate payments under the rehab agreement, that garnishment order is going to be taken away. So that may end up being what stops the garnishee because, I mean, look, if you make an untimely request for a hearing based upon financial hardship, and let's say you make it three or four weeks after the administrative wage garnishment starts, you go immediately into rehabilitation, you're past your fifth rehab payment before the six months rolls around where they're going to grant you the hearing anyway. So that may be the savior here. But what concerns me is the way that you put the rehab together. Rehabilitation is an agreement to make those nine monthly payments over that 10-month period of time. And the payment amount is what is considered reasonable and affordable. Reasonable and affordable is what's essentially an IBR, an income-based repayment amount. It's not called IBR because you're in default, but it's based on what's called the 15% formula. They look at your taxable income. They deduct a baseline amount tied to your family size and whatever's left over, 15% of that is considered your rehab payment. If your income is low enough, then your rehab payment is $5. It can't go any lower than $5. But here's the thing. If you already have a wage garnishment in place and you use that straight 15% formula, you're basically double paying on your rehab because you're paying the standard 15% formula rehab amount, and you're having money taken out through administrative wage garnishment. There is an alternate means of calculating a rehabilitation agreement, and that's through a financial disclosure. You provide your income, you provide your expenses. One of the expenses that you can claim in your financial disclosure is the amount of money that you're paying for your federal student loans as well as your any private student loans that you have outstanding. So if you've got a garnishee, the amount of that garnishee on a monthly basis is going to be used as an expense on your financial disclosure. So you end up with a lower rehabilitation payment. So let's say your rehabilitation payment under the 15% formula was going to be uh $450. But let's say you have... Uh, $300 coming out by administrative wage garnishment on a monthly basis. Well, that $300 can be used as an expense on your financial disclosures, uh, which would leave you, even in the absence of anything else, $150 left over for, for the rehab. You wind up paying the rehab at $150 to the debt collector, $300 through the administrative wage garnishment. In the absence of anything else, it's a wash you're not double paying now if you've got a if you've got a real financial hardship here and this garnishment is really killing you um i question or i'd be interested in knowing more about the amount of income and what the process of going through that uh that rehabilitation agreement negotiation was it may very well be that it was based off the wrong numbers. And the debt collector isn't required to tell you about that other way of doing it. They don't owe you any duty of care to counsel you about anything else. So there's there's all of that. So again, I I would tell you to consider looking at that rehab agreement. So to your original question, is there anything else I can do? There's a nuclear option here. If you've got a financial hardship and you're in a rehabilitation and there's an administrative wage garnishment and you genuinely can't make ends meet, I would tell you to consider sitting down and talking to a bankruptcy lawyer because maybe there are other debts that you're struggling like hell to pay off. Well, maybe a bankruptcy helps you get rid of those other debts, puts you in a better position to be able to afford these defaulted loans. Remember, even after an administrative wage garnishment, even after a rehabilitation, you're going to have to make payments in some way, no matter how small or how large they may be. If you went into default once and if you're having a hard time with the rehab and with the administrative wage garnishment, something tells me that you may have a hard time making those federal student loan payments on the other side. So this idea of bankruptcy to wipe out the other debts may be something that's useful for you to take a look at. Filing a bankruptcy is going to result in a suspension of the administrative wage garnishment. So you kind of kill two birds with one stone. And depending on the kind of bankruptcy you go into, it may be may very well be that you wipe out your other debts. So that you still have the student loan and yeah, you're still in default and the filing of the bankruptcy does nullify the existing rehabilitation agreement, but it allows you to come out the other side without an open administrative wage garnishment and be able to establish just a rehabilitation, hopefully on more appropriate terms. So that could be one of the ways that you go in bankruptcy. The other way is using bankruptcy as a means of restructuring your payments on this as well as any other debts that you have. It's called a Chapter 13 Repayment Bankruptcy. It will also stop the administrative wage garnishment. It will allow you to take all of your debts, including the student loans, wrap them up into one pot and make payments on all of those loans through the bankruptcy court and the money that you pay gets distributed out among all of your creditors. There again, the student loan isn't going to get wiped out unless you file a separate lawsuit, but it's going to help you stop that garnishment. It's going to help you gain a little bit more control over your financial situation if bankruptcy makes sense to you. And I know everybody hates filing for bankruptcy. Oh, it's going to mess my credit up for the rest of my life. It's going to be the world's worst thing. Look, you're already in default on your federal student loans. You've got a wage garnishment and you're struggling like hell to make ends meet. Let's call it what it is. your credit probably stinks right now. So if your credit score is the thing that scares the hell out of you, um, I I would tell you that maybe that's not the best thing to to be thinking about right now. Worry about your financial stability. One other thing, if you go into bankruptcy, interest continues to accrue. So even if you're going into a repayment bankruptcy, if the amount of money that you're repaying through the court isn't enough to cover the interest that accrues, You may walk out of bankruptcy owing more in student loans than you did when you went in, but you're struggling now. If you can kick the can down the road three or five years, which is how long a Chapter 13 repayment bankruptcy lasts, who knows what things are going to be like for you on the other side. Your financial situation may be far better. The other debts that you may have may get wiped out, may make it easier for you to repay your outstanding federal student loan. So things may be better for you, even though you're potentially going to owe more money on the other side. But look, that's that's all conjecture. I think that you would do yourself a service to at least sit down and talk to a bankruptcy lawyer in your area who understands federal student loan issues. There's tons of bankruptcy lawyers out there. Some of them understand federal student loan problems, a lot of them don't. So when you're making phone calls and you may have to pay money to sit down and talk to a lawyer, this is one of those situations where the free consultation may not be something that gets you exactly what you need. So when you're making phone calls around for a lawyer, make sure that you ask, do you know about handling defaulted federal student loans in bankruptcies? Because you don't want to walk into a bankruptcy lawyer's office and find out that they have no idea about federal student debt and how it's handled in bankruptcy. Because more often than not in that situation, the word student loan will come out of your mouth. And the lawyer will throw their hands up and say, no, no, I I don't know anything about student loans. Uh, Student loans, uh, we can't handle them in bankruptcy. It's not really true. So first, when did the wage garnishment order get handed down? Are you within six months? If no, well, you already know uh, what's going to happen about the hearing because it's entirely up to them if they're going to even give you one. And it sounds like they're not. So if it's within six months, you're out of luck. Second, take a look at your rehabilitation agreement. When do you hit month five? Are you almost there? If so, you may not even care about the administrative wage garnishment hearing anymore because you know that the order itself is going to be lifted fairly soon. Third thing you want to look at is how did we arrive at my rehab payment? Are the numbers right? Could I do better renegotiating it with a financial disclosure. And then last but not least, what else is going on in my world? What other debts do I have? What other bills am I struggling to pay? And does it make sense for me to sit down and talk to a bankruptcy lawyer? I think it does. Even if you end up not filing for bankruptcy because it's not going to be right for you and because it's not going to be helpful for you in getting this monkey off of your back, Because ultimately what you want to have happen is you want to be able to know all of your options. Now, this is certainly not an easy thing to be dealing with. So you want to take it really slowly. You really want to make sure that you're spending all of your time getting a complete sense of all of your options at each one of these steps. So that's what I'm thinking your options are. I think you can get through it. Just take step by step by step. And remember, when you get out of default, make sure that you pay very close attention. You just don't want to be back here again because you can only rehab once. You can't rehab a loan once you've done it before. And um depending upon your situation, how many loans you have, you may or may not be Able to even consolidate your way out of debt. So that's it, Chelsea. If you've got a question, just go on over to studentloanshow.com, click the contact button up on the menu bar, type in your name, how to get in touch with you, and your question, and I will put it in queue to answer here on the show. That's all for today. My name is Jay Fleischman. I am a student loan lawyer, and you can find all about me at studentloanshow.com. I hope this has been useful for you. If it has, please, please, please tell somebody that you love or you like or you can tolerate or hell, even tell somebody that you hate who you think might get some benefit out of this show. Tell them to give a listen to the student loan show. Pass me around to your friends, your family, your colleagues, coworkers, everybody. Uh, More people that listen, more people who get help, and the more power gets into everybody's hands. I'll see you back here next time. Bye-bye.